my boyfriend Ryan and I were out there. We actually camped right there where the cemetery is, like just within a few feet of it. And um, I took a photo. I was going to show my mom. I said, you know, look how big my tent is. And we got this big blown up bed and the whole left side of the tent, there's nothing in there because it's just that big. And I didn't have that much stuff. And if you look, you can clearly see the face of a child that has bangs staring out at you. Um, and I can't, I can't explain that one. That's, that is a really weird experience. I think we've all been inside a little too long. So let's go out to the wilderness again. This time we're headed to what Utahns call the West Desert to explore one of the most iconic vestiges of the Old West, the ghost town. I'm Dory Peacock and this is The Ghost Box. If I say the gold rush, you probably think of the California gold rush of 1859. Men in felt hats with beards panning for gold in the streams of the Sierras. But the California gold rush is far from the only one in the history of the West. Think of gold rushes less as an event and more as a tide that comes in and out. Gold is discovered, men rush in to take advantage of it, gold runs out. And the cycle repeats itself for years and years. In 1870, gold was discovered in a small settlement called Lewiston in the hills just west of Utah Lake. Over the next three years, prospectors would flock to the small town to get a piece of the precious ore. The increase in mining led to an even better silver boom. It's estimated that the town produced at least a million dollars worth of silver. But the silver boom didn't last either. By 1880, the mines shut down and the town was abandoned. A new boom seemed around the corner when a German immigrant miner discovered cinnabar in the area. All right, geology time. Cinnabar is a red form of mercury. The cinnabar deposits in Lewiston were found to contain both gold and mercury. The miner filed a claim, which he called the Merker Claim, and in 1890 sold it to a group of speculators from Nebraska. There was just one problem. They couldn't get the gold out of the cinnabar. The traditional process of extracting gold ore didn't work on the mercury-filled stone in Lewiston. Lucky for them, a local druggist named Gilbert Payton had studied a new and yet unproven method of extracting gold from low-grade ore using cyanide. Within a year, Peyton had proven that the cyanide process could work, and the Merker mine becomes the first commercially successful mining operation in the U.S. to use it. That's actually the process that's still used to extract gold from baser metals today. This led to another gold boom, and miners and craftsmen poured into the town once again. This time, they couldn't call it Lewiston, since that name was already taken by another Utah town, so they called it Merker after the name of the original claim. At its height, the town of Merker was home to 5,000 people. But this boom, too, was destined to go bust. 
1902, a fire destroyed most of the town. The citizens rebuilt, but not long after, the mines began to close. By 1960, there was only one building left in town, and by 1930, that was gone too. Today, all that's left is an open pit mine and a small cemetery of mostly unmarked grave. It's estimated about 100 people are buried there, and only about 40 of their graves are marked. Of those, about half are circled by little picket fences. If you've seen photos of the cemetery, that's what you've seen, the fences. In recent years, the cemetery has become more of a hotspot for ghost hunters. It's kind of just like one of those few places that you can actually investigate a cemetery. It's become a favorite um, uh, paranormal investigators in Utah all around. This is Jen. She's a ghost hunter and psychic medium. Her daughter, Mary, is also a medium and investigator, and together they're known as the Paranormal Girls. You'll hear from both of them in this episode. They have investigated the Merker area many times, and they've had encounters with its most well-known inhabitant, the ghost of a little girl called Emily. There's several children, but there's one little girl's grave who seems to get all, like, people bring up toys, and they, Emily, and everyone puts toys on her grave and whatever else like that, and they kind of ignore some of the other little children's graves. And the reason why she is tends to be the most active with that, when we do go up there with her, we do bring up toys and stuff, but we always put them on another child's grave and we always ask them to share, you know what I mean, sort of thing. One time we had brought up some candy and we had the spirit box running just kind of always in the background as we're up there because we just like to have it going just for fun. And the spirit box we're using is Baza box mostly. Um, and we love that one because it kind of takes out all the static and clutter that you hear through the other one. So it's really nice, clear, um, conversations that you can hear. And it was funny as we were laying out some candy and you could hear these kids, no, and a teddy bear, like it was this interactive teddy bear that lights up and they love him. Um, and so we were putting him out and we were turning him on and you all of a sudden you hear these kids fighting on the spirit box and me and Mary both turned around and said, Hey. You need to share at the same time. It was funny because we were both preschool teachers. So kind of like, just like, you need to share. Jesse, another member of Jen and Mary's team, witnessed the ghost child phenomena too. So we had a, we had a, um, um. An EF, EMF detector or a. Yes. An EMF detector on the ground. And Mary would start, Mary would start running like through the cemetery and then all of a sudden you would see a light. She'd be by not close enough where you'd pick up the text on like the MF detector. And you would see a light standing like behind Mary, or the light would shine red on the opposite side of Mary. And she was she was away from the MF meter, so what wouldn't have been her picking it up. Okay, if you're new to the world of paranormal investigation, first of all, welcome. Second of all, allow me to explain the equipment the team is talking about. The spirit box is actually the piece of tech I named this podcast after. See how that works? It's essentially an AM radio that sweeps through every frequency very quickly. The theory is that it takes a ghost less energy to manipulate a radio wave to send a message rather than to speak with their ghost mouth in a voice the living can hear. Whenever I think of a ghost box, I sort of picture a ghost arranging sounds from various broadcasts into phrases, the way you might arrange magnets on a fridge, 
to form a message for your college roommate. The rule with the spirit box is that unless you hear more than two words together, you're probably not hearing a ghost. An EMF detector is exactly what it says it is. EMF stands for electromagnetic field. Virtually everything that uses energy, including humans and animals, emit electromagnetic fields, and an EMF detector detects them. Most detectors have a needle or a series of lights on them that light up to show when a strong field is detected. It's not unlike a guitar tuner. At least... That's what it reminds me of every time I've seen one. The theory is that ghosts must also emit EMFs. So if your detector is lighting up and you aren't near a strong source of energy, you may have just detected a ghost. There are a lot of things that can set off an EMF detector. So rule of thumb, you probably don't have a ghost unless the detector seems to communicate with you. Like if you ask it to make the detector light up and it does, then maybe a ghost. That's what happened in this story with the EMF detectors Jen and Mary were using in the cemetery. They were lighting up virtually on command. Now the Merker Cemetery is frightening enough on its own, but according to the paranormal girls, the cemetery ghosts aren't even the strangest thing out there. Um, Some of the unique things that we have loved about Merker is it's got a different feel compared to where you're at. Cemetery itself, it's a very um, peaceful but paranormal active place to investigate. You get uh, children's spirits to play with you, adults who have like sometimes things they just would like to talk about. And then once you leave the cemetery bounds, it changes. It becomes like a whole different like area to basically investigate because the field changes. Well, one of our first trips out there, we found, Mary did, actually, she found a portal. This was not the first time I had heard of this portal, and I'm still wrapping my head around what it is. Jesse was the first one to tell me about it. So the portal, from what I understand, is just kind of like almost like a gateway for other spirits and other things to come out of that, you know, come out of that portal. So. You know, you have your evil spirits and you have your good spirits, but it just seems like there's a bunch of different spirits that hang out there. And depending on what time you're there, it's worse. I guess it's worse. It feels worse than other times. Uh, That's my understanding what the portal is. What's on the other side of the portal? Like, is it a portal to the next life? Is it a portal to heaven or hell? Has anyone ever said anything about that to you? You know, I've never asked. I've never asked. I, I that'd be a good question to know whether it is heaven or hell or the next life or if it's just a bunch of spirits hanging around. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I've never asked that question. I'm picturing in my mind like a Pokemon lure, but for spirits. Yeah, that's like, like a is, battle. <laughs> is it sort of like that. Like it's just kind of they just get so much activity there. People go, well, there must be a portal here. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Jen explains the portal a little differently. I would like to call this portal more of a, not like a spirit portal, or I should say spirit only for spirits to come through. I would almost call it a a multidimensional intergalactic portal. And the reason why is because through all 
all of our times, every time we've gone there, there's been something different in the portal area. Either it be um, human spirit, either it be fae, or I should say the unsealy, um, possible uh, Bigfoot, um, and then other things. And, you know, just as a medium, medium, every time we went out there, we'd learn more info. And yeah, that was to our best knowledge, but I would just call it like where it was used by pretty much everything in the area. As Jen said, Mary was the first one to find the portal and boy, did this portal make itself known. So our very first trip out there, we were um, out there to see if we'd watched a video where someone said that there were skinwalkers um, out there. And I was like, I don't think so, but we wanted to go find out for ourselves. So we go out to Mercury. And the only thing I could pick up is, no, I can't pick up. I'm a psychic, by the way. And Mary is a psychic, too. She's my daughter. Um, and the only thing I could pick up out there was, do not go past the cemetery bounds. Do not go more. I would just call it um, south. I don't know what direction it really honestly was. Um, I said, just don't go south. There's something out there that would push you off the cliff if it had an opportunity to do so. And Mary being in her teenage years and with this other guy who was our cameraman, who was very enthralled with the paranormal, thought, oh, let's go do that. <laughs> let's not listen. Like the medium on the team has one job is to keep everyone safe. And when the medium says, hey, please don't go in this area, where did they go? They go. In the attraction, I told them not to go. And I'll let Mary take over from there. We were walking and walking and walking with just the two of us, a one flashlight and a spirit box. We were just going to keep walking until either something happened or we had gone too far and wanted to turn back. So we're walking through this large desert area with all these like desert trees, cactuses, all these sage bushes. And we kept walking until we came, uh, we went down this dip, you go back up you walk and then you go a little bit to the right when we stumbled across this big open space and in front of us was a trees that made almost a perfect circle. We thought that was super weird. So when we started to take another step forward, we the spirit box finally started talking. We kept getting words like they're here, our full names, our ages, personal information about us. And then followed by the words that get them, get them, throw them off. And we thought that was weird. We were just kind of laughing and rolling our eyes. We didn't think much of it. We were like, oh my gosh, they're just trying to scare us. But we heard a noise behind us. It was like a really large scuffling through the trees noise. So we immediately turned around, started looking around with our flashlight, didn't see anything. So then we turned back around to look at the circle of trees when this nine foot tall, almost black body with a white glowing faced creature started running after us with its arms out in the air. So we booked it. We immediately started running as fast as we could, but we didn't remember where we come from and we could still hear like heavy breathing and large footsteps behind us as we're trying to run. The spirit box then started saying to the left, to the left. So we decided to trust it and we went to the left only to almost stumble across this large cliff that if we hadn't slowed down for just one second we wouldn't have seen it and just ran off the cliff so we turned around and we booked it the other way I until told we, you i know until i told we, you <laughs> we finally got back to the uh, little fire that we were starting and um 
back to the cemetery and to the safety of its grounds. We eventually went back out there several times to the circle of trees just to kind of see what's going on. We learned to call it the portal. And the reason why is because the perfect circle um, really did make like a portal. The portal had more in mind for the paranormal girls. One fateful night, they were camping out at Merker with their friend Jesse and another ghost hunter called Sarah. She's the one you heard at the beginning of the episode. This trip got off to a pretty weird start. We decided to drive instead of walk up the hill because we were taking a bunch of stuff up. So we started driving up the hill and the SUV that we're in wouldn't make it. So we turned around and went back. But we could kind of feel this hard. Not that we, we could kind of feel like there was a presence there. Even at that time, my heart was beating really fast. And I was talking to them. I'm like, there's something following us. One of the guys that was with us goes, yeah, it's, it's an evil spirit. I Jen agreed and said, yeah, it's not a very friendly spirit. And it doesn't want us back or we should have came back this way. So when I feel it and sense it out as we were going there, it was a very heavy feeling. It was a feeling of ancientness in a way. Like it was old, old, old. It was not human. At least I don't think it was human. I don't know what it would have been. I would just call it an entity. It wasn't any of the entities that we normally come across in our paranormal investigations. And we come across quite a few. So it was something different. How would you describe it, honey? So when we encountered it for the first time, we had rounded this corner. We all felt this dark, deep energy that nobody had ever felt before. We all remarked to each other, like, whoa, what? Yeah, we were just going on. We were just traveling along and everything was fine. And then bam, like it was just like, boom, like this energy just came for us. <laughs> um, and me and someone else in the car, Daniel, we had both looked to the side and we'd seen a tall, dark, almost like if you could see someone like muscular in the shadows. Um, felt very like powerful, almost like if you were to look at someone, you could tell they were the king, like. They were powerful in that way. Like you could almost godlike, I would say. It was definitely a different energy than anyone had ever felt before. And we had just passed it when we were coming around this corner. And we all started talking, like, should we turn around? But we didn't turn around. So we're trying to get back. And then all of a sudden, the car just completely dies. No check engine lights on, no overheating, no nothing. The electrical just shuts down. So we're getting out and we're looking because there's rocks up there. So we're like, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if we hit something, maybe crack the oil pan, something. Nothing. Like the car was perfectly fine other than getting scratched up from the trees and stuff. But the car was completely fine. So we waited probably a good five, ten minutes there. And we could still kind of got that uneasy feeling like we were being watched. And then we all decided, okay, well, let's get in the car and see what happens see if it starts again you know it started once he cranked it over and we drove back down the hill but that was that was kind of one of the times that I was pretty scared because I felt like my heart started beating really fast when we were up in that area and it was just weird that the car just shut off by itself later on that night yeah Jesse kept saying seeing things down by our trailer um while we later on when we did go down there and as we were sleeping we did have some activity 
the paranormal girls they usually take a camper down there and we camp we you know we do our investigating and all that stuff throughout the night and then have a camper down there so we can just sleep there and then take off the next day well that night that was my first my first night there our psychic medium jen was saying you know there's a spirit here that doesn't want us here like we're not welcome because we we're going to go back up to the top and do some more investigating and she just got an uneasy feeling and she said we should we're, we should go we shouldn't go back up there like it's not there's something waiting up for that waiting up there for us and it's not a good spirit so we went back down and all of a sudden you just hear something hitting the tr- the camper and it was you know pounding on the front door and then you hear rocks or what sounded like what had what had have been rocks thrown at the other side of the trailer where the door's at and then you'd hear more pounding on the side of the camper and this happened for a good three to four minutes we're like okay who's out there like we're the only ones out there there were no other cars around so we get out and we walk around the camper walk around the cars nobody's there um daniel was in his vehicle and he said he kept seeing like this indian guy with like two coins for eyes or something it was it was weird jesse also had a solo spooky experience we were up by the headstones just trying to see what kind of activity we would get from the spirits that were there and mary who was with us said that sarah was on her way and asked if i would go down and get her because she's never been there so i was like yeah that's fine i'll I'll walk down there and get her and i mean it's kind of a little steep little hill to get up to the grave site then walk down there and go get her and at this point i've never met sarah i've heard of her but never met her so I have no idea what she looks like or what she drives or anything like that. So I get down to the bottom and there were other vehicles there. So I just started saying, Sarah, Sarah, where are you? And then I hear this, I'm over here. So then I start walking kind of across the street from where the camper was and the other car- cars were. And there's I walk around the cars and look and there's nobody there. So I just once again say, Sarah, where are you? And again, I hear, I'm over here. And nobody was there. So I walked just to make sure, just to verify nobody was there. I walked around all the cars and walked around the camper that we had there and nobody was around. So I'm like, this is odd. So then I just, I go in the camper and I sit there and wait for about uh, five, 10 minutes. And then um, a car pulls up and I'm like, oh, that must be Sarah. So I go out and I was like, hey, were you around here earlier? And she goes, no, I just got here. And I was like, oh, well, because I was calling your name and I kept hearing the girl saying, I'm over here. And she said it a couple of times. And she goes, no, I was up here at the end of the road. So that's the first time I met Sarah. So the gang is all assembled, camp is set up, and they head for the portal. And so I was like, Sarah, you've got to come check out this portal area. I want to see what it shows to you. Because to Mary, she saw something different. I saw something else. Um, and so we take her and Jesse, um, and Nate from Hen Realms and we, we start trooping out there. It's kind of big, a big area. So we walked quite a ways. We went to where this portal's at, where I guess a lot of spirits hang out. I'm not a medium, so I don't really sense spirits that off that much, but I do every now and then feel like something's there. Um, so we were at the portal. And then we stayed there for a little bit and we were interacting with some Native American spirits. 
as well as some other spirit, another human, another human. We get out there and we're sitting out there and, you know, we have a spirit box on, but we're seeing like these little, like, I would almost call it like sparkles as we're sitting in the middle of the portal. The portal felt a lot more calm. It did feel powerful, but it didn't feel like negative. And as we sat there inside the portal, we see like these little light sparks, but we don't have, and like, let me know, this was the wrong season for fireflies. And two, we really don't have fireflies here in Utah. Um, Not unless it's like more in a marshy area. And this was the desert. So um, first off, wrong time, wrong area, and it was too dry for fireflies. And so it couldn't have been them. Plus fireflies kind of like when they light up, they almost make like a J shape. And this was just like a flash on, flash off, like sparkle. We would all sat there and we were just like, wait, look at that. Like, that's so cool. And as you peered through the trees um, out into the desert area, you'd almost see what looked to be maybe like, I don't know, one, like two foot creatures possibly. Mm-hmm. And it, you, they weren't rabbits. They definitely looked humanoid. And it was hard to tell um, for me, like, is this mediumship I'm seeing through or is this my physical eyes? But when everyone else was seeing it and some of them weren't even mediums, that's when I was like, okay, this is physical eyes, like manifestation, whatever this is. So then we decide to call it a night and we start walking back. It's a straight shot. You cannot get lost. It's it's impossible to get lost because you just turn around and you walk straight back and then you hit the cemetery and then you go down the hill. It should only been a five minute walk. And I think we've got walking maybe about 10 12 minutes and it's a straight line back you can um so as we're walking back towards the fire from our home base as we went south you're just gonna go straight north and you line up with the mountain peak exactly and you know there's no room for error because there's no mountains to the east you know not really to the west and so it's a pretty easy straight line it's hard to get lost and uh, sort of thing and so we start walking back and it's taking us a while we started going like wait a second we should be there by now. I told Mary, I was like, Mary, we're lost. And she goes, no, we're going the right way. And I was like, no, we're lost because we, we should have been back by now. And so we check our phones and we realize, wait, we're not going the right direction. How in the heck did that happen? Like, we're more towards the east than what we should be. And at this point, we'd been walking about 20 minutes. Sarah pulled out her phone and we tried using her GPS and something was messing with us because the GPS, like the GPS, it, we we walked in circles a few times. So we corrected ourselves, started walking back. The, uh, we had to backtrack a little bit and then go um, to the north in order to get back to the cemetery. So we were walking and we kept hearing extra footsteps with us or extra scuffles and I had mentioned it to Sarah at some point. I was saying something's walking with us, but we couldn't figure out what until I had turned my head just a little bit further to the side than I was before. And I'd seen a man with almost like a brown old fashioned suit, um, a scuffy beard. He'd also looked very sickly. He had, um, his eyes were very sunken in, his teeth were not taken care of at all. And I turned my head, seen him, and I just remarked, I see you. Why are you doing this? And then just kind of disappeared. So we kept adjusting ourselves and we were like, why are we still not here? 
and we had realized we were slowly making our way in the wrong direction to the path where we had disturbed something the other night like we were making our way to that road further and further each time even though we were adjusting ourselves with our gps so finally sarah had pulled her phone out of her pocket and mine was the only gps when i turned it on that worked everybody else's was directing them northeast up this mountain so that's when we realized something was manipulating my phone to the point where we were going in the wrong direction so once we realized what was going on, we readjusted again. But again, you have that visual look, let alone we had a visual of what direction we were walking. So each, as we're walking, we're all paying attention. Like there's the mountain peak. We're all walking straight towards it. The fact that we somehow kept going off the wrong way. And it's funny because as we were talking that night, sometime during the night before this happened, I remember talking about how we went on this very walk in Provo, Utah. He tells about how there's this area in Provo where as you're walking in one direction and that happens to the students all the time, you actually like kind of like get a little lost when you know the area and you almost end up going in the opposite direction than what you had planned on. And you know, we, we were, I was telling him how he talked about that and how I said that actually does correlate with um, lore um, from the fairy world sometimes where they you cause you to get lost even though you might know where you're going very much and how the the thing that they used to do way back then was like turn um, a piece of clothing inside out or whatnot <laughs> to stop it I said well and I kind of made fun and I laughed and I said well maybe we should turn some clothing inside out <laughs> and we did <laughs> or at least I did I don't know if Sarah did or you did but yeah and after that, we finally made our way back. It ended up what should have taken us 10, 15 minutes to get back to the cemetery. It probably took almost 45 minutes just to get back to the cemetery where the paranormal girls have been going there for a while. So they know that place and they would get lost. When Jen says the Fae, what she's talking about are magical beings that you hear about in old European lore. Things like pukas, fairies, leprechauns, elves, the holde folk that kind of thing. The word fae encompasses a lot more than that, but that's the Reader's Digest version. Fae are known to play tricks, and disorienting a group of unsuspecting humans is right in their wheelhouse. But they weren't just wandering. They were being drawn back to the dirt road where they disturbed that dark entity earlier. The one Jen described as ancient and Mary saw as some kind of regal presence like a king i asked jen if she thought that the dark entity was the reason they were lost oh yes absolutely that was what was causing it i think when mary had seen that guy in a student it sent him out to kind of lead us you know like even more straight towards where it needed to um but yeah it was absolutely the reason why it was crazy but it was funny because it just like i thought well you know, we've heard of this phenomenon happening and it's actually happening to us. Like, how is that? That's unreal. <laughs> because usually you hear a phenomenon, you don't get to experience it um, because sometimes it happens so rarely. So it was definitely interesting. Um, I don't know if it would normally cause that or if it was just because we were interacting with Faye earlier, because that was not Faye. I can tell you that right now. So. 
Maybe the dark entity did have something to do with it. And maybe the Fae did too. It's unclear, like most of the stories we tell on this show. And as Jen notes, clarity is scarce whenever the paranormal is concerned. Who knows? It, it's, I have so many questions. Usually when you have a paranormal experience, you end up walking away with more questions than what you started out with. Because you start thinking, well, what if, what if, what if? And no way to test it because, you know, the experience only happens once. There's no way to replicate it. listening the ghost box is written produced hosted and all the stuff by me dory peacock with scoring and mixing by parker b abeg who also composed our cool theme tune which you heard in the intro and outro for the show special assistance was rendered by our four-legged production assistant george moosington adams esquire because of course my cat is a lawyer I want to thank our special guests, Sarah, Jesse, Jen, and Mary for sharing their stories. And if you want to hear more from Mary and Jen, there are some bonus episodes on our Patreon. Patreon is a site where you can donate a small amount of money each month to help keep the lights on for small creators like me. So if you're like, hey, I got too much money, I would like to support the ghost box and uh, toss a coin in the box, as we say. Head over to patreon.com slash theghostbox, all one word, and that will take you to our page. You can give us a little donation, and in return, you will get some cool bonus episodes and hopefully more bonus content in the future. If you have a story that you would like to share with the show, email us at theghostboxpod at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Twitter and Instagram at theghostboxpod. If you submit a story, we will get back to you if we think it's good for the show and maybe set up a recording. You can also find us on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and Google The Ghost Box or The Ghost Box Podcast. And wherever the sound of the wind makes the moan of an old coal miner, there we will be. Finally, if you like the show, rate and review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, or indeed on any podcast app where you listen. And if you didn't like the show, let me be the first to tell you in ASMR that you are wrong. It is a good show. You think you don't like it, but you do. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Stay spooky. Doop, 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 doop. Start again. The ghost... Witness the ghost phenomenon. The actual... The sp... Is exactly what it says it is. Oh, damn it. Yeah. I was like, I, they're all like, we're spending the night here. And I was like, I think I'm going home. <laughs>